0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast, an association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, a.k.a. The Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for tonight's incredibly special episode of TCCP is none other than Blaze, Leicestershire and former Warwickshire all-rounder, Grace Ballinger. So Grace, first things first, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast tonight. It's an absolute pleasure. To welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask, how's your day been so far?
1: <laughs> it's been good, thank you. Yeah, it's been all right. Um, been, been at uni finishing off my dissertation. Well, my first submission of, and yeah, I've had a good day today, writing wise. I've been had pretty poor few days writing, but finally got back into it, which is good.
0: It certainly is. And we had the conversation before the podcast started, but in terms of that dissertation, just for the listeners out there. What is your dissertation actually about?
1: Um, it's about Russian philosophy. Uh, I study English literature at Loughborough, as many of them, I'm sure your guests went to Loughborough, especially the girls. Um, but yeah, it's on The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, Russian philosophical novel. All very interesting. 900 pages long though, lots of reading.
0: Goodness me, that is long. And I thought A Wizarding Almanac was, was a read. <laughs> Flippin' and 900 pages. Yeah how long has that taken to to read through that
1: it took me it took me a good a good month or so to to analyze it as well I read it when I was 17 I don't know why probably should have been doing more exciting things when I was 17 but there you go <laughs> and then I reread it again at 21 and here I am writing on it in meditation. dissertation so
0: fair enough it's funny how life works out isn't it to be honest I bet you weren't thinking that a few years ago thinking I'm I'm going to read some Dostoyevsky and all of a sudden you're writing about it in your dissertation and we did say whether or not we could get the name Dostoevsky in the podcast, and we've done it in the first two minutes. So yes. I'm feeling very smug at the moment, <laughs> to be honest. And yeah, that probably is the, the first and potentially only time that we'll ever talk about Russian literature on this podcast, but quite clearly breaking new grounds in, in the year 2024. But of course, just for the listeners out there who are maybe new to the County Cricket Podcast as a platform, essentially today's episode is a nice laid-back chat about Grace's cricketing story. And like with any good story, Grace, we have to start right at the beginning of your cricketing tale. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game?
1: <laughs> it's quite the intro. Um, my earliest memories are probably watching my, watching my dad play. My dad was a wicketkeeper, um, not a fantastic one. Uh, in honesty, but he used to play at, I think it was, it was Aston Unity in Highcroft um, in Birmingham. Uh, he played there. <clears throat> and then my older brother also played. He used to bowl leg spin back in the day. So yeah, I used to go to all their games, used to get roped into that. And then I suppose just picked it up from there and, and yeah, kind of fell in love with it at quite a young age, probably before.
0: Wow that is very very early to to fall into the game of cricket and in terms of that particular connection then with your brother and your dad just to kickstart proceedings in a nice wholesome way just for the listeners out there what are the names of your, your brother and dad who have clearly had a, a massive influence and impact on your cricketing journey?
1: Yeah absolutely my dad's been fantastic he's been so helpful he's um Paul, Paul Ballinger and then my older brother Jack he's 25 but he no longer plays
0: well, there you go. Shout out to, to Paul and Jack. Quite clearly have had a massive influence on your cricket journey, Grace. And in terms of those formative years, were you always a seam bowler, like right from the get go? Or is that something which has materialised in the years that followed? In terms of those early years in the game of cricket, how did you see your role on a cricket field?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was always, um, always a seam bowler. I won't use the word fast, but seam bowler, definitely correct. Um, I used to bowl off a massive long run up when I was a kid. I don't really know why, I don't know who I was trying to impress, but there you go. Um, I used to bat a lot more when I was a bit younger too, as people often do. Um, A bit more of a genuine all-rounder back then, but obviously grew up and kind of grew into a role of power play bowler, opening bowler from when I started playing hardball cricket, really.
0: Fair enough. So quite the traditional route then, into seeing bowling as opposed to being a specialist bat or indeed taking up your dad's mantle and becoming a keeper and Mm -hmm. then switching later down the line. So... That's really interesting to be honest and in terms of that first club am I right in thinking that was Warmley Cricket Club or was it a different club back then?
1: It, it was yeah I um, I played a lot of women's cricket at Warmley and then I ended up moving to Sutton Coldfield which is where I am now Um, so I'd say Sutton Coldfield is my main club but did begin in Warmley yeah.
0: Well that's really interesting because warmley have produced a number of Warwickshire cricketers over the years and it's just important I think to also recognise your roots. I know that Sutton Coalfield have definitely been the, the main one in terms of Midlands Village Clubs. But yeah, it all started off at Warmley. And in those early years, Grace, aside then from your dad and your brother, who quite clearly had a, a huge role in terms of developing this love of cricket that you possess, did you have any idols, any icons, any influences in the wider professional game who, in those formative years, you tried to look up to and emulate in any way, per se?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So um, this is regarding the women's section of Warmly. It was always quite far ahead um, in the women's game. And obviously, women's cricket wasn't professional um, when I was growing up. It was for international, but that was about it. But we had um, Amy Jones in our women's team, Amy Jones, and also Helen Chipman, who doesn't play anymore, but I just remember thinking they were great. Um, and although they're wicket keepers, batters, I just remember thinking that I wanted to be like them.
0: Well, two wonderful, wonderful role models and Amy Jones, one of the absolute best cricketers that Warwickshire have ever produced. She's an absolute legend from Solihull as well. So, nice little Midlands connection as well. But yeah, wonderful cricketer, wonderful keeper as well. And yeah, deserving of a place in the England lineup. She's been absolutely brilliant over the years for the three Lions. And, Grace, this is the, the typical question on the County Cricket podcast. It's something which. I like to ask pretty much every single cricketer who comes onto this platform. But let's say that you've got an hour-long net session with any cricketer in the history of this great game. Who would you choose to play against in that net session and why?
1: Wow, that's a big question. Um, Definitely not a scene bowler because I don't fancy facing that. Brian Lara.
0: Any reason for for choosing the Prince?
1: I just think it well you know Warwickshire, great um bit of a legend scored the biggest score didn't he uh I just think it'd be interesting to watch how he goes about the game obviously he used to play pretty differently to um to the way the games going now with the white ball formats and what have you but yeah I mean I, I like Red Bull cricket um it's not a format we play um domestically in women's cricket but I love the Red Bull stuff so then I'd kind of just like to get the get the Red Bull out and see if I could get it swinging
0: well, here's the million dollar question. Do you reckon you could get Brian Lara out? Never. Really? You wouldn't no. back yourself?
1: <laughs> you know, I normally do back myself, but I think that I think there's a line. And I think saying I'd get Brian Lara out is a bit controversial eight minutes into the podcast.
0: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to embarrass myself and say that I could get him out. Absolutely no chance. No chance was a Rowington second 11 bowler get Brian Charles Larker out, unless it was like a, a filthy court and bowled off a full toss. I'm not going to claim that, but he is just one of the absolute greats of the game. You mentioned that high score, 500 and one out against Durham in the summer of 1994, an unforgettable season for the burn Ragged staff of Warwickshire. Won the treble, followed it up the following season with the double and yeah, just a great era to be honest for this wonderful club. And, in terms of, of seam bowling as an art form, Grace, I just want to touch upon this in a bit more detail. So obviously you started out very early on in terms of those days at Warmly, and you've always been a seam bowler by the sounds of it. But in terms of that particular discipline, why do you love seam bowling so much? Because it, it can be tough at times, can't it? In particular, the the physical exertion that it takes on the body. It can be very, very unforgiving at times. So in terms of your favourite aspects of bowling seam, why is it that you've returned to this particular art form time and time and time again?
1: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah, it it does take the toll on the body sometimes. I've had a couple of stress fractures growing up, as many seam bowlers do, but I think they're they're all done and dusted now, which is good. Um, I I think for me, um, I'm pretty tall, I'm just shy of five foot nine, so it came quite naturally for me to be a seam bowler, but I just I love bowling with the new ball. I love seeing what movement I can get with it. I love trying to like set batters up. I love just kind of getting into the battle. Um, I get a bit of white line fever, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. It helps my game, but I definitely get a bit of that. So, helps you know to take the new ball and try and get in off the long run and take early wickets.
0: That's really interesting. You've just mentioned that actually, because I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of bowling seam and getting movements. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's why we love watching the likes of of Stuart Broaden and and Jimmy Anderson over all of these years. But you mentioned white line fever, and that is a concept which comes up a lot on this podcast. So, Grace, just for those who aren't quite familiar with what white line fever actually is, first and foremost, can you explain what that feeling is as a seam bowler?
1: Yeah, um, (laughs) I've had it. I've had it my whole life, really, um, in the context of cricket. Uh, I'd say off the pitch, I'm pretty laid back, um, pretty chill, and then, as soon as I cross that white line, so to speak, that literal white line, but metaphorical as well going into the game um I just get really rolled up um quite controversially, I get really rolled up when I'm bowling dot balls um like not dot balls, but like if someone's just defending me like I just oh it just it just gets to me a bit um that's a bit of a niche one but <laughs> But yeah, I need to to get out of that. But yeah, just being in the battle when you're on the pitch and just competitive nature.
0: And that's exactly what it is. It's a case of allowing those feelings to almost override your cricket at times and you allow it to to get the better of you. So at times it can be very detrimental to your game. But I I do think as a seam bowler, you need that natural fire. You do need that edge in your game because it's tough. It really is tough at times and it can get frustrating. Seem bowling, when you're beating the edge, or, for example, if someone's just blocking you out or you've had a few drop catches. Of course you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be annoyed at times, but you've got to control it, because if you don't control your white line fever, you can lose your radar, and as soon as that happens, you're going to leak boundaries. you're not going to get those wicket taking deliveries in your game. So I just wanted to follow that up, really, Grace, by talking about your, your methods of almost maintaining that composure on the cricket field I know that you mentioned there that it can creep into your game but do you have any particular tactics any mechanisms any strategies to just make sure that that white line fever doesn't overtake your game on the cricket field
1: yeah definitely um it's something that I probably struggled with in like in my teenage years which people often do with (laughs) trying to control yourself and competitively but I think I'm really lucky in the sense that my captain at Blaze, Kirsty Gordon, she's really good, she knows me really well, really good friends on and off the pitch and she's really good at knowing when I'm at that happy medium of this white line fever and then when maybe it's pushing and pushing and she knows when to kind of just calm me down and I'll normally calm down myself when I'm down at third man between the over, Um, have a little think, kind of contextualise and think at the end of the day it's only a game isn't it? So I guess you just got to keep things in perspective, and yeah, I think overall it it helps my game more than hinders. But I think occasionally, as you say, it can it can topple over into that dangerous area.
0: And that's the important thing, isn't it? To be honest, it's a case of controlling it, and if you can control it to your advantage, that's massive because it does give you an advantage in the game. It gives you that competitive edge which other same bowlers might not have, or indeed the opposition batters might not have either. So it is something which you can utilise in both a positive and a negative manner, but yeah, it's all about control, and it's a funny concept. It really is. White line fever can turn the most mild-mannered, most polite, most incredible people into absolute monsters on the <laughs> cricket field. I don't know what it is about seam bowling in particular, but it really does unleash the the primal and almost savage side of people at times. It's It really is fascinating, to be honest. I mean, I imagine there's been... Quite a few psychological studies on it, but yeah, it is brilliant to be honest when you do see these bowlers just charging in and you can see it means the world to them. When they get a wicket, there's a massive celebration at the end. That is why you play the game. It's why we as spectators watch the game as well. So it's all about striking that balance and not allowing it to overtake your game in the heat of battle. And aside from white line fever, and of course the the competitive side of the game and the more positive elements. Of bowling seam grace just before we get back on track to our conversation about county cricket what would you say is the most difficult aspect of being a seam bowler because we've touched upon it beforehand but there are a lot of days where you're going to be left frustrated where edges are going down edges are going for boundaries you might have lost the radar and you're leaking a few fours and sixes and it just feels like you're never going to get a wicket again and then of course there's the the physical tolls of the game on the body itself so in terms of the more tougher and difficult elements of being a seam bowler, what do you say is the most difficult thing about your particular discipline?
1: say probably probably the variability of it um there's so much that can so easily go wrong for for a lot of seam bowlers it's it's a big rhythm thing it's feeling feeling rhythm in your run up in in your gathering your action. And if one thing feels slightly off, it can just unhinge your whole thing. That's what I seem to find, especially in the winter when you're working on technical things. One thing feels wrong and all of a sudden hell's broke loose and you feel like you can never bowl again and you don't know what's going on. But I think that's definitely the most difficult thing, just how one small thing can kind of, it's not even outcome, it's more the way you feel. I think it's so important as a fast bowler to feel and having good feel. And if you don't have that, then you're struggling sometimes.
0: You certainly do. And again, that is such a common answer on this podcast. It's all about rhythm and feeling comfortable, whether that is in your run up, whether it's with your delivery, whether it's with the release, and of course, your confidence as well, in terms of being able to execute certain balls in the match. All of these factors are absolutely pivotal in terms of delivering the ball successfully. And I know this is a little bit profound, almost to touch upon so early on in the podcast, Grace, but do you ever overthink? on the cricket field I know that might be quite a common question but everyone overthinks certain points in life don't they right this isn't just in cricket but wider life in general is that something which ever creeps into your game or can you maintain quite say a level head on the cricket field per se
1: um I wouldn't say level head's the right word with with the way I behave sometimes but um I'm not really a massive overthinker um I'd like to consider myself pretty self-assured and I think that reflects in my cricket quite a lot um I think at the end of the day as I alluded to earlier it's just a game and you've got to keep everything in perspective and I think that's something I've learned over the last couple of years um maybe if you ask me this question when I've just been edged three times consecutively in the power play and I've had the catch dropped off my bowl, and it'd be different but <laughs> sitting here now in January um I'd say no I think I'm I'm pretty good with handling that but yeah or will maybe ask me in the summer.
0: you might have to do that as a follow-up episode after one of those kind of performances (laughs) but then again I completely understand that and it's a good way to be actually if you don't overthink because I'm terrible at that whether I'm playing or watching in particular when Warwickshire are playing a game of cricket I overthink everything honestly every single delivery I'm thinking is the field placement right is it the right bowler is it the right shot to play is it the right ball and honestly there's a million different things going around your head so if you can just have that clarity of thought and that clarity of minds, it really does set you apart from a lot of people in this game and it is important not to allow overthinking to dictate your particular approach and mindset in the game of cricket. And it's funny actually that I mentioned Warwickshire there, because in terms of your county cricket journey, Grace, you did of course start at arguably, at least in my opinion, the greatest club in England and Wales. You represented the Bear and Ragged staff at the age groups and, of course, into senior cricket as well. So in terms of that opportunity, first and foremost, how did you go from playing for Warmley and Sutton Coalfield Cricket Club to representing the Bear and Ragged staff of Warwickshire?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was through a trial system. Um, I think I I was eight when I first played for Warwickshire and um, I think I played for about 10 years till I was 18, obviously when COVID came. Uh, that's kind of when my situation changed with moving to the East Midlands. But yeah, Warwickshire was absolutely fantastic for my development. Um, really, really brilliant pathway. Um, I think in in line with women's cricket, really ahead of its time with the programme that it had. Um, Paul Griefham's EPP and academy system was just brilliant. And I think I owe quite a lot to it, to be honest.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that. Obviously, that is music to my ears as a fan of Warwickshire because we have got a very, very good academy set up and the women's team in recent years have been incredibly successful as well. And I think back to the summer of 2019, Grace, in which you played a bit of a role as well. And that T20 Cup win, that was absolutely massive because for years, Warwickshire have competed under the, the West Midlands region, whether that's now for the Sparks or... Even back in the 80s and 90s, it was the West Midlands. Warwickshire only really came to the forefront in 2001. And yet since then, there's been a lot of good seasons. And 2019 in particular was absolutely fantastic. And I still remember one of the blast matches. And the the women's team went on that lap of honour after winning the T20 Cup. I mean, that was tremendously proud for us as Bears fans to to have that at the club. And you go through the the South Stand at Edgemaster now, and it's there. It's part and parcel of the club's history now. So before we talk about that particular season and that unforgettable T20 Cup campaign, Grace, I suppose you have to start first and foremost with your debut for the Bears. I mean, what can you remember about stepping onto that field and representing your childhood club for the very first time?
1: Yeah, I think I was about 15 or 16 maybe, so I was pretty young. Um, I think I'd been 12th for a couple of games, building up to it, gone to a couple of away days, Obviously, I was pretty young, so it was all—it's all a bit new to me. It was all exciting, traveling to hotels and what have you. It wasn't obviously it's so normal now, but it's not really. So I think I'd done a lot when I was fifteen and debuted at Portland Road um, in T uh, Twenty. It was we played two games. I think it was against Kent, but I can't be sure. Um, but we had a really good group of girls then. I remember feeling really supported and a little bit naive to T Twenty cricket. Definitely, um, definitely a few learning curves in there, but. Yeah, obviously I was really proud. Um, as I say, Warwickshire was a huge part of my development and really fond memories at the club.
0: Well, again, I'm I'm really glad to hear that, Grace. And in terms of your debut, you did actually play two matches on the same day. You're absolutely spot on. But the first match was actually against Sussex. And Georgia Adams had an absolute field day by the looks of it, to be honest. Yeah, she took three wickets for, for nine runs, which <laughs> I'm not surprised, to be honest, Georgia is... An incredible all-rounder runs of very talented cricketer. But yeah, in the end, Sussex winning that particular match by 42 runs. But uh, aside from that day and making your debut in those two matches for the Bears, what do you say was your proudest moment from your time at Warwickshire? Would it have been that moment when you stepped out onto the field and almost realised this childhood dream? Or was it that campaign in 2019? Or was it even something aside from those two events that I've just mentioned? If you could choose just one particular highlight, one particular day, one particular moment from your time spent at Edgbaston, what would you say was your proudest moment whilst wearing the bare and ragged staff?
1: I think it's quite easy for me, actually. Um When I was in the under-17s age group in the highest part, we won, we won the national final. And I'd been part of that team since, since the age of 13. So I'd gone through thirteen, fourteen, fifteen five seasons. <laughs> I've gone through five seasons in that team. Um and that was the first time we won it in like I think that was probably my last game for Warwickshire. Um obviously when COVID hit and it was just a really proud moment. Um me and Izzy Wong used to open the bowling together, who obviously you'll be aware of she's still a Warwickshire girl. And it was really nice for us both, you know, to kind of get through and get over the line in a really close game against Staffordshire, who were always like our rivals and they they had a really good girls team at our age group and yeah, it was brilliant. I remember it really clearly. I scored no runs though.
0: <laughs> well, you, you can't have everything though, can you, in the game of cricket. But I mean, what an opening pairing that is then. With the ball in hands, is a great, great bowler. Honestly, rapid as well, might we just add flip and actually bowls, absolute rockets. But yeah, I'm glad to hear, to be honest, Grace, that you had such a, a wonderful time at Warwickshire. Again, that's that's wonderful to hear. And in terms of that move then, this is now kind of going into your days at at Leicestershire before we touch upon the Blaze and your time in the regional stuff. But in terms of that move then, was that catalyzed by university or COVID? Why did you have to move from Warwickshire to Leicestershire in the first place?
1: Um, It was just a decision. So the Blaze, who I play for now, formerly Lightning, represents the whole of the East Midlands. And I'd made this commitment to move from the West Midlands to the East Midlands, which was after the experience I had at Warwickshire, quite a big decision for me at quite a young age. Um, and I just felt it right to represent an East Midlands county um, as I'd moved and kind of pledged my allegiance to the East Midlands. Um, I also had slightly better batting opportunity there. Um, I, I opened the batting at Leicestershire. That's the opportunity they gave me, whereas at Warwickshire, I'd probably be like middle, lower order. Um, so that was a really good opportunity to me. And, you know, Warwickshire were very understanding and it was just kind of just a decision at that time. And that's just kind of how it played out.
0: Well, that's absolutely fair enough, isn't it? Because you do need to do what's best for your game. And obviously, if you've got extra opportunities at another club, you've got to take them. You can't go through your career regretting opportunities and thinking what could have been. So again, that's completely understandable, Grace. And in terms of, of Leicestershire as a club, as a setup, obviously it is different to Warwickshire because you're going from Edgebaston to... Grace Rose, a very apt name, given the fact that I'm talking to, to Grace Ballinger on today's podcast. But in terms of that initial move, what were your kind of first impressions of Leicestershire in terms of facilities, in terms of the people there? What did you make of the East Midlands outfit after that initial move?
1: Yeah, definitely really good um, first impressions when I went there. Very, very friendly and accommodating, as you'd expect. And I like Grace Road as a ground, actually. Um, I've got pretty fond memories there. Um, obviously very different to the um, the situation I had at Edgebaston. Obviously, Edgebaston's a test venue. It's a massive stadium with kind of top-end facilities and Grace Road also are very, very good facilities, but noticeably different. Um, I think the main thing that I noticed at Leicester is the pathway they've got for the girls' game is really good, and we're seeing that reflect in our Blaze Academy coming through. Um, there's a lot of girls representing Leicestershire women at a young age and then going on and making it into the Blaze Academy. So it's definitely positive and it's good to see they're investing a lot of time into the women's game.
0: It certainly is. And I do have to give a bit of a shout out to a certain Mark Hudson. He's done a fantastic job with the Leicestershire women and girls pathway over the years, a really phenomenal coach and a very, very passionate supporter of the women's game. He's he's dedicated a lot of time to that pathway and that particular side of, of Leicestershire County cricket club. So just a bit of a mention to him because as you mentioned, Grace, they are producing a lot of cricketers. And to be honest, in recent years as well, Leicestershire have done pretty well, haven't they, in terms of the, the county circuit. And I just wanted to, to touch upon, in particular, this last season gone, because you made it to the finals day of the group. And in fact, not only did you make it to the finals day, but you won it. And of course, Grace, for yourself, it was an incredible performance which got your team over the line. So in terms of that finals day itself, first and foremost, before we, we reach that fateful day, how do you analyse and reflect on the campaign which almost led you to that point in the first place?
1: Yeah, it was, it was quite a difficult campaign actually. And then um, kind of clutched up in the finals, to be honest. Um, I'd just come back from injury, so I was struggling with my bowling. Um, we were playing on a lot of wet wickets. It was April um and we had a difficult couple of games um but then the finals were hosted at Grace Road obviously our home ground and we won I think we finished third in the group but we ended up winning the semi-final and then putting in a really good comprehensive win against a pretty strong North Ants side so that was pleasing that was really good
0: and it's those local bragging rights as well isn't it East Midlands dominance you know beating North Ants who of course a, a local rival in the East Midlands region. And it was a very, very strong North Ants team as well, wasn't it? And in fact, I believe North Ants actually topped Group 5. So you beat the table toppers and ultimately went on to win on home soil at finals day. And in terms of your own performance, Grace, what can you remember about that day? Because just looking at the numbers, obviously this is just with the ball in hand. 3 for 14 from your four overs, as North Ants were restricted to 100 for 7. But then with the bat in hand as well, fifty not out. I mean that that's quite the performance, isn't it? As you mentioned, clutching up on on finals <laughs> day.
1: Yeah, it was it was definitely pleasing. Um, as I said, my bowling had kind of been not where I wanted it to be um, in the games coming up. But as I mentioned, being an opening bowler, being a power play bowler, you're there to take wickets early. Um, and I think I, was, I think I took two in the first over, which kind of set the game up nicely. Um, kind of probably eased the nerves of a few of the girls that probably hadn't had as much exposure on first class grounds. Um but yeah it was it was really enjoyable and a couple of the other girls put in some really good performances, some career bests, I think. So yeah, I think we just worked quite well as a team and obviously got over the line. Not it was it was actually quite a close game in the end. Um low scoring. I think it was a bit of a slow wicket. So yeah, it was it was close, but really pleased to obviously win that in my first season at Leicester.
0: Yeah, it's not bad, is it? To be honest. And as you mentioned, it was very close towards the end, you know, chasing it down with seven balls to spare at the conclusion of the game. But the important thing is, of course, the win. And in terms of that campaign for yourself, Grace, uh, again, how do you reflect on that? Because I know you mentioned about the, the bowling in particular, but in, in particular with the, the batting hands, you know, you finished as the club's leading run scorer in that campaign. So uh, aside from the bowling side of things, in terms of the batting, is that something which you can take great confidence in? heading into the future because 50 not out in the final, a career best 59 not outs against Lincolnshire up at Loughborough. In terms of those particular performances and the overall campaign, is that something which you take great pride in heading into the future?
1: Yeah, definitely. It was pleasing. Um, I'm I'm genuinely regarded as an out and out bowler um, pretty much these days. uh, I think because I bowl in the power play, but in the lower order um, regionally. So, it's kind of nice to, to be given an opportunity and and perform in that opportunity. Um, I spend a lot of time working on my batting. I really enjoy it. Um, I really want to get back to those those golden all-rounder days, uh, not just coming in off the long run. So, yeah, it's obviously good to, to put in some performances and put your name in the hat. And, yeah, I'm just going to keep working and hopefully get myself up the order in the coming years.
0: Well, fingers crossed, of course, the summer of 2024 isn't actually that far away, is it? In terms of the county season... I believe it starts in 85 days from this recording on the 11th of January. So not too far to go at all. And in terms of this year in the women's game, it's potentially the last in terms of those regional sides. So there's even more jeopardy, isn't there, in terms of those titles in the Charlotte Edwards Cup and the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. So it's got the makings of a very, very intriguing season. But... Before we jump the gun and we talk about 2024, Grace, we've spoken there about the likes of Warwickshire and Leicestershire in the county circuit, but I think it would be a miss of me if we didn't talk about the regional stuff as well, because in 2023, you had a real standout season for the Blaze, in particular in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. Absolutely fantastic with the ball in hand. So in terms of your time with the Blaze so far, again, first and foremost, what were your impressions of that particular group?
1: Yeah, we've got a really good group. Um, it's a really big part of our ethos to kind of togetherness and family. And I think that was actually founded on a few pretty poor years, to be honest. Um, formerly Lightning, we underperformed in all areas. We used to finish bottom of the table. Um, yeah, just something wasn't right and I, I don't know what it was. Um, and then we moved to Trent Bridge, that home ground, became the Blaze. We worked really hard over the winter kind of rebuilt ourselves rebuilt our values and our image and what we wanted and then yeah it was obviously a fantastic year for us we ended up second obviously disappointing to lose two finals um in the both t20 and 50 over format but considering where we were um 12 or 18 months ago i think with that in perspective it's been a really good year for us and we definitely want to go one better this year
0: Well, of course, anything is possible, isn't it? I mean, it was a great season. It really was. And just to give some context, actually, behind that, in terms of the years which had preceded 2023, in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, finished fourth in 2020, fourth in 2021, and sixth in 2022. Then, of course, in 2023, runners-up against a very, very strong Viper side as well. It has to be said, they are the best team in the country right now. I mean, they look absolutely unstoppable great balance from 1-11 to and yeah they were worthy winners of, of both competitions in this season but also in the Charlotte Edwards Cup 2021 and 2022 finishing fourth in the group stages not qualifying for those knockout rounds and then all of a sudden you're at finals day you're in the final against the Vipers it was a massive season massive season for this regional side and in terms of personal highlights Grace what do you say has been your individual highlights from your time with the Blaze so far?
1: I think it was um it was definitely our run of form in the T20 comp. Um, seven games, group stages, obviously the T20s, a lot of doubleheaders with the men, it's a lot of traveling, it's a bit more exciting, it's fast-paced. And yeah, we went seven from seven in the group stages. Uh, we were feeling pretty unstoppable. Obviously, wasn't our day on the finals. I think Vipers just know how to win in big games and they they totally outplayed us on the day of the final. Um so obviously the final was pretty frustrating after winning every group game. Um, but that run of form we had was something that was totally foreign to us previously. So that was really exciting.
0: It certainly was, and it was great to watch as well. To be honest, the, the cricket which was been played was absolutely top tier. And we'll start first and foremost then with that Charlotte Edwards Cup performance and, and reaching the final at New Road. So in terms of that, uh, you mentioned about it being almost this alien kind of feeling because beforehand the the side hadn't even reached that stage right let alone the final of the entire competition so in terms of the nerves and the feelings and the emotions on that day what's going through your heads as you walked out onto that field representing the blaze in a domestic final
1: i think i think the difficulty was was the expectation that we came in with obviously we we'd been undefeated in the group stage so logically you kind of you feel like you should be winning that title um I think nerves definitely came into play uh with a lot with a lot of us um but they just totally outplayed us we were we were under we were under par in every single part of the game um it was also a pretty difficult final in the sense that it was it was rain affected so um we ended up playing a t20 over two days which was something I've never done before uh but it did mean I got throwdowns in the war- in the warm-up on the Sunday because we were, <laughs> it's not actually good, we were like 60 for six or something, but I was hypothetically like batting five the next day.
0: <laughs> well, you'll take it. Again, it's it's a very, very unique scenario, isn't it? To be honest, when you do put it like that because it was massively rain affected, it was absolutely chucking it down in Worcester runs. Obviously, in terms of the the overall results, it was disappointing for the plays after such a remarkable competition, dominated in the group stages. And I know the expectation would have been to to lift the Charlotte Edwards Cup at the end of it. But in terms of that campaign, you must take great pride and satisfaction out of it, even though at the final hurdle, it wasn't to be on that particular day. But in terms of the rest of the campaign, sensational, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially in comparison to how we had been before. Um, it was nice to see all kind of the work we'd put in. All the change we've made, we made some really good sign-ins. Um, coaching staff did a really good job with that. We obviously signed Nat Brunt, Sarah Glenn, two England stars. And then, of course, our overseas, uh, Nadine de Klerk, which just got announced as coming back this year today, which is fantastic news for me because I love opening the bowling with her. Um, but, yeah, it was it was really pleasing. And I think it's just something it's just going to make us want to win more next year. We'll be back with vengeance next year because we can't keep seeing Vipers lift that trophy, honestly. Lovely group of girls, but it's sickening.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean, to be honest. I think a lot of people in the men's game are getting that feeling with Surrey, with the county championship as well, to be honest. That's been the overarching sentiment over the goals this winter. But they are a very, very good group. They really are. The Vipers are absolutely fantastic. And they have just been dominant, to be honest, in recent years. But they are beatable. They are beatable. And who knows, 2024 could be the year that the blaze or the thunder, the diamonds, the sparks, fingers crossed the sparks, could actually go and beat them in either competition. And you've actually beaten me to the punch there, actually, Grace, because I was going to ask about Nadine, because it has been announced today, the first overseas signing ahead of this summer. So in terms of opening the bowling with an international superstar like Nadine Klerk, what is that like? And what's it like to bowl alongside her?
1: Nadine's been brilliant. Um, as you say, she opened the bowling was a great all-rounder, probably one of the best fielders I've ever seen in the women's game, and just an asset to the group all round, really. But the main thing that I can I can say that was great with Nadine is that she's just so so clear in her bowling plans. I'd, I'd never really come across a bowler that was just so assured in what she was doing, and it it gave me a sense of clarity that I'd never had before. Because I kind of I knew that she was so confident at the other end. She's she's so consistent. She's never going to spray it. So I just I felt so confident at the other end because she was so confident if that makes sense and she also used to let me have choice of end which I really really appreciated um she's so laid back yeah it was great it's great so glad to have her back
0: well that is wonderful to hear and yeah that's a, a bit of a, a privilege isn't it if you get into to to choose your end it's not often that a senior bowler would do that so quite clearly there's some mutual respect there in the blaze dressing room
1: yeah, it's, it's a really good environment. I honestly can't fault it. I just remember the first game, obviously, as as you say, international overseas coming over. We're playing at Trent Bridge and I said, I said, what end do you want to bowl from, mate? And she went, I don't care. What end do you want to bowl from? It's, it's your home ground. This is where you normally play, isn't it? And I just thought, this is the best sign and we could have had. I was so happy. Didn't have to bowl against the wind.
0: Imagine being that confident in, in your abilities. That must be an absolutely fantastic feeling to be so chilled and laid back and just go, no, it doesn't matter what end. It doesn't matter who I'm against. They're getting out. <laughs> I'm getting wickets <laughs> by the end of this day. Goodness me, that is a great attitude. And yeah, it's a great signing, I must say. Really, really good signing. And yeah, fingers crossed. Obviously, she can stay fit ahead of the summer of 2024. And of course, can play a massive, massive role like she did in 2023. And in terms of the other competition, which I did just want to touch upon, to be honest, Grace, is, of course, the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, because, again, that was some campaign for the Blaze reaching finals day and, unfortunately, in the end, exact same outcome, being beaten by the Vipers this time by five wickets at Wantage Road. But, uh, again, in terms of that campaign, from both a personal and a team perspective, how do you reflect on the summer of 2023 in the 50-over format?
1: Yeah, we, uh, similar to the T20 comp, we started really well. Um, the 50 over comp came before the T20 comp. And obviously, we our expectations, we wanted to compete. Of course, if you're a professional team, you want to compete, you want to be in the top of the table. But that was that was something we'd never experienced before. So we kind of, we <laughs> hate to rub salt in the womb, but got off to a winning start against Central Sparks at Trent Bridge. And then, <laughs> yeah, that kind of got the ball rolling. Um, we, just, we just kept winning. And it was just such a a strange feeling I mean we were performing we deserved to win but it was just nothing that this group of girls had experienced before uh so it was really exciting and and equally it was a bit of a breakthrough year for me as well kind of grew into my role taking the new ball um and kind of really flourished in the 50 over format in particular uh I like having a bit more time As I think I think the 50 over format's cleverer in my opinion um similar with the Red Bull stuff I think it gives you more chance to set a bowler up I think Not a bowler set a batter up. You have to think about it more. It relies less on luck. I mean, I love t Twenty, but I really enjoy fifty over as well. And yeah, it was just really enjoyable year. And I'm glad that um, I'm glad that I got that experience with the new ball, and it was relatively successful. But yeah, we'll be looking to go go one better next year, I think.
0: Absolutely, and this group can win trophies. They really can. And that was really refreshing to hear as well. Someone so passionate about the fifty over format because. It is a great format, and you do have to think. You do have to display a lot more fortitude in the 50-over format compared to T20s, and I guarantee that for a lot of bowlers, they also feel a lot more reward. After having maybe a tough 10-over spell, but finishing with economic figures, bowling a load of dot balls, must be an absolutely fantastic feeling. And in terms of, of your campaign as a whole, just before we touch upon finals day, in a bit more detail, Grace, how do you reflect on it from a personal perspective? Because I have got the stats in front of me here. And to be honest, they're fantastic. They're absolutely superb. So in terms of the overall wicket-taking column, joint sixth, joint sixth leading wicket-taker in the 2023 Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy also happened to be the leading wicket-taker on the blaze after finishing with 18 wickets at 2344 so in terms of individual displays and your own performances over the course of this past summer in the 50 over formats, again, Grace, just in your own words, how do you summarise and reflect on those displays now that that season has come and gone?
1: Yeah, um, obviously, obviously decent figures, um, pretty ambitious person. So would would love, love to get a bit higher in that wicket-taking column, but yeah, as I say, I was I was really appreciative of the support I got with the new ball. Obviously, having Nadine and other great bowlers like Kirsty Gordon, obviously great left-arm bowler, spinner around me. It's definitely helpful. Um, yeah, I was pretty happy with how I went overall in the tournament. Um, a lot of my wickets were bold LB. That's normally how I try and get people out, swinging the ball in. Um, but yeah, it was pleasing, particularly towards the back end of the tournament where post-100, I took a lot more wickets than pre-100. So... Kind of hit that run of form and, and ran with it.
0: And it's all about peaking at the right time, isn't it? To be honest, in, in particular as you go into that September running, it's absolutely crucial. And just talking of the final itself, I know we've jumped a little bit ahead there from the rest of the tournament, not to just gloss over it, but in particular that final, you know, obviously you, you were wicketless on the day, but in terms of the actual bowling spell, how do you look back on that? Because none for 16. From eight overs, an economy rate of two runs an over in a major final. That's pretty darn good, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I was, I was definitely pleased with how I bowled. Obviously, outcomes was wicketless and that's what you want to do. But, well, I alluded to it earlier the, the defending it, the, <laughs> the dot balls. It really got to me. And I, th- I think they knew what they were doing, to be honest. Um, yeah, lots of dot balls in the power play, which is obviously good. Their run rate was really low. But I would have liked to take a couple of wickets, and I think on a on a different day I could have, with the way I bowled. Um, but yeah, credit to the Vipers' batters—they played the situation very well. Um, pleased with how I bowled, but their their game awareness was was really good.
0: It really was—it was spot on, to be honest, wasn't it? In particular, from the likes of Emily Windsor and Georgia Elwis. you know, they were just spot on from well from ball one, to be honest. They they played the situation quite spectacularly and obviously in the end another victory for the vipers in the summer of 2023 but again it was a great season for the Blazons, obviously for yourself grace a, a massive season as well so i'm guessing in terms of both of those campaigns i'm guessing you take great pride and, and satisfaction with your performances from last summer
1: definitely um by far my best season uh so far probably a lot of hard work went into the winter uh I used to puff it out the season before. I used to bowl really slow, <laughs> so a lot of work-ons, which got me got me quicker, and I think that added a lot to my game because made the ball swing a bit later and just made me a bit more aggressive with the new ball. But yeah, definitely proud of that season, and just just want to go one better this year. Really working hard this winter, and just want to take more wickets, want to win more games, want to lift some trophies. It's probably how I'd summarise my goals for the summer.
0: Well, yes, some some lofty aspirations, Grace, but to be honest, they're achievable, aren't they? That's the great thing about cricket. If you keep on working hard, if you keep on learning those lessons and taking those lessons from past experiences, like those two finals days, you're set up really nicely for the future. And at this point in your career, still very early on, you've still got plenty to learn. It's a great attitude to have. So keep that mentality heading into this season and As we mentioned beforehand, this season is an interesting one, not just because of the emergence of the Blaze and teams like the Thunder, the Sparks, and of course the Diamonds and Stars and Sunrisers last season showed a lot of promise as well, but this might be the last season for the regional sides as we know it, as a result of the advent of Project Darwin in 2025. So in terms of this season, just before we touch upon, I suppose, the, the far future, with that project and, of course, your aspirations in the game, Grace, what are you looking to achieve from both a team and an individual perspective with the Blaze heading into this summer?
1: I think, I mean, I've said it previously, but as a team, we want to win at least one trophy. Um, We got within sniffing distance of winning and that wasn't quite enough. Uh, Definitely want to lift one of those trophies and take it away from the Vipers, who have been winning a lot recently. I think what's really important to us at blaze and what i think resonates with us a lot is how well we got on as a group through kind of adversity last year and and i think that will bode well going into future obviously whatever the future holds for us as the blaze with project darwin um obviously there's been a lot of change in women's cricket recently but one thing that has stayed consistent is kind of our our team dynamic which has been great so kind of just more of the same but just one better
0: well fingers crossed that can be the case grace and yeah who knows as I said, 2024 is going to be a fascinating season and I do expect the Blaze to be up there yet again. Blaze versus Sparks Final would be great, wouldn't it? You know, some Midlands dominance in the regional setup just to bring it to a nice finish before we do enter the the brand new beginning with Project Darwin. I think it'd be quite the the conclusion to the regional setup, but no, it has been fantastic and the regional sides definitely have played their game in terms of the the wider English women's domestic game as well and just talking of that future because it's still relatively new we don't know all of the details surrounding project darwin but just to give it a little bit of a a brief overview essentially in 2025 the regional sides as we know them will cease to exist they might exist in theory because you've got teams like the thunder up in the northwest they'll become lancashire as they pretty much have been since the get-go to be honest But the the regional sides will be taken over by eight tier one counties. And then in 2026, we're expecting another raft of teams in tier two. And then there's a potential to scope to tier three in the years beyond as well. So in in terms of what you've seen and, and what you've heard of that project so far, Grace, what do you make of Project Darwin? And is this something which you're very excited for heading into the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, there's been there's been a lot of changes in women's cricket over the last five years or so. I mean, obviously, so many of them positive. Um, the professionalisation of the game, the doubleheaders, the 100, there's so many fantastic things the ECB are doing with the women's game. Um, it'd be nice if it kind of just, if this Project Darwin happened and it stayed that way. Um, I think it'd be nice for teams to kind of be able to settle and associate and to be with a first-class county aligned, I think, would be a good thing. Um, it kind of helps with supporters to show allegiance and it helps with the men's fans coming into the women's game. And I think most crucially, Aaron, is that what a lot of people don't know about the women's regional cricket is that not all 15, 16 players in a squad are professional at the moment. Um, there's about 11 professional contracts at the moment within a team and then four or five girls within each team kind of training the same amount, but, but not on a full time wage, which is. Obviously, the way it had to go with the funding being increased and obviously having 11 contracts is fantastic in comparison to the last few years. But I think with the way the game's going, it'll be good to have fully professionalised squads and that will cause less disparity between players within the same team.
0: 100%. To be honest, I don't think I could have articulated that any better, to be honest, Grace. It's a great point, isn't it? And it is a great barometer of where the women's game is heading in this country, that increased professionalisation. I think back to 2020, it was 41 domestic contracts and it keeps on increasing year in, year out. We're seeing a lot more funding, a lot more investments in the domestic game and it is exciting. Don't get me wrong, just looking at the plan, you can already see some potential flaws. So for example, the initial costs are going to be pretty high. You also might have the loss of original academies and as you've just mentioned there, Grace, not every single player will be professional. Until 2026 and even the years beyond, there will still be quite a lot of uncertainty for a lot of players. And there might be that scope to lose a lot, in particular, of younger cricketers. So there are some pros and and cons, of course, to this project. But at the same time, there is a lot of excitement. And I think it's brilliant that counties now will actually invest properly into these sides and will be more directly aligned because we've seen the, the success With Lancashire, I know that we've had a bit of a joke there about Thunder basically being de facto Lancashire, but in the future, they will be Lancashire. It will once again be the Lancashire Thunder. For, For fans who maybe haven't seen much of the women's game, all of a sudden, you've got that common point. You're a fan of the Lancashire men's, you can be a fan of the Lancashire women's. Same with my county of Warwickshire, same with teams like Durham, same with teams like Gloucestershire, Somerset, Glamorgan, Derbyshire, whoever. You've got that common point, and there will be that transference of fans, as increased professionalisation does take place. So it is exciting, and in terms of the future itself, Grace, just aside from Project Darwin, and maybe thinking on a bigger scale now, just to wrap up what's been an incredibly interesting episode of the podcast, what are your aspirations in both the domestic and maybe even the international game beyond in the years that follow? Because I'm guessing England is definitely on your radar. That's the case for any cricketer. You always want to be at the top level representing a country in international cricket but in terms of the here and now, so heading into 2024 and of course the the foreseeable future what is Grace Ballinger hoping to achieve in the wonderful game of cricket heading into this summer and of course the years beyond?
1: Absolutely yeah as you say um, everyone wants to play of England it's, it's what you dream of as a 9 year old 10 year old girl isn't it and when I was younger, that was the only option. That was the only viable option for a career in cricket playing for England. So it was definitely something that I wanted when I was younger. And I just want to I just want to keep performing for the Blaze, really, and see where that takes me. Um, kind of just control what I'm in control of, which is performing and hopefully putting my name in that hat for, for the selection. And, you know, with all the franchise tournaments popping up and stuff, there's a lot of exciting things coming. So just want to keep working on my game and hopefully get a bit quicker, take a few more wickets, (laughs) hit hit a few more people on the front pad, see what happens.
0: Well, obviously, Grace, myself and everybody associated with the Cricket podcast are wishing yourself and the Blaze all the very best of luck heading into this season and, of course, the years beyond. I mean, judging by that, high aspirations, lofty ambitions, but realistic ones as well. You know, you can keep on improving in this game and another good season across both those competitions. You never know. All it takes is an opportunity, an opening, an injury, and all of a sudden that opportunity can manifest itself. So who knows? Anything is possible in this great game. And just one final question, actually, which I did have to ask aside from cricket on the field. I know you've done a lot of commentary in recent seasons. Is that something which we can expect to hear once again in the summer of 2024?
1: I hope so, yeah. Really enjoyed my work with um, the BBC, working mainly at at Warwickshire and Trent Bridge. obviously two counties that I feel I feel strongly for so really enjoy it yeah and just want to keep going with that hopefully people enjoy what I bring to the county championship stuff um bit of the blast stuff last year but yeah I hope so um nothing confirmed at the moment but yeah it's it's quite fun and you know watching cricket all day there's worse things to do isn't there
0: yeah fingers crossed then So more commentary opportunities do represent themselves because Yeah, from what I was told at Edgbaston, made a real strong impression. And from the games that I heard, Grace, to be honest, thought you did a great job. So fingers crossed we'll hear you on the airwaves and, of course, see you on the field a lot in the summer of 2024. But I think that is a wonderful place to wrap up what's been a very, very interesting episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. I'm just looking at the time, well over 50 minutes. I don't know where on earth that's gone, but Mm -hmm. that's quite clearly a, a good indication of the quality of conversation. In terms of just the the final kind of moments of the podcast, Grace, just before we do wrap up, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that?
1: Nothing to promote. Uh, If people want to follow me on Instagram, obviously it's there. (laughs) But no, absolutely nothing to promote. Uh, No, thank you for having me
0: been an absolute pleasure grace and obviously always welcome back here on the counter cricket podcast in the future and folks if you do want to go and give grace a follow on social media you can of course find the links to her social media channels as well as ours in the podcast description below but that is it for myself and grace for today's episode of the counter cricket podcast so each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there thank you ever so much for tuning in and as always guys we'll see on the next one